0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, Life as Gift, Not Gain. Peace be with you. Um, As you are able, um, I'd ask that you uh, join me in standing for the reading of God's Word. Um, Our sermon text this morning is Ecclesiastes 11, verses 7 through 12, 1. Hear the Word of the Lord. Light is sweet, and it is pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. Indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Let him remember the dark days, the days of darkness, since they will be many. All that comes is futile. Rejoice, young person, while you are young, and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth, and walk in the ways of your heart, and in the desire of your eyes. But know that for all of these things, God will bring you to judgment. Remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh, because youth and the prime of life are fleeting. So remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity come and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Today we are actually concluding our um, sermon series, our 12-week sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, Solomon, who's, who's commonly believed to be the writer of Ecclesiastes, has tried everything under the sun, everything on earth, and now in the end he's bringing the lessons of wisdom to the surface, to a concluding point. All this time he's been seeking to reveal to us what is the purpose of life. Why are we here? What is the point? The, the passage that we're looking at today, like the rest of the book, is, is, is real. <laughs> it's not pie in the sky spirituality. It's, it's a picture of spirituality that takes seriously the hardship of life on this side of heaven, or as the teacher says it, under the sun. Like much of Ecclesiastes, it looks at the joys of life and the pain of death. In the passage uh, today, we're going to see three primary exhortations or encouragements from the teacher. Simply put, we're going to be seen to call to to rejoice, remove, and remember, or to unpack those a little bit more, the call to rejoice in today, to remove sorrow and pain, and to remember your creator. And Before we unpack these further in, in, in looking at our text, let's pray. God, we thank you that we can gather together as your people and hear from your word. We know, though, God, that unless you um, illuminate our hearts and our minds, this is nothing more than a a TED Talk. So we ask, God, that your spirit would um, soften our hearts, help us to hear and receive from your word this morning. That as we see Solomon's concluding remarks, As he looked at all of life under the sun, that we ourselves would remember to fear the Lord and obey your commands with the help of the Holy Spirit. So speak to us this morning, Lord. We pray all this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So first, we see the exhortation to rejoice. Rejoice in today. We see this in verses 7 through 9. Solomon starts out, he says, Light is sweet. And it's pleasing for the eyes to see the sun. The the very simple pleasure of the breaking of the day is sweet. It's pleasing to the eyes. It is a a gift from God, the one who gives us the very life and breath in our lungs, who, who opens our very eyes in the morning and who raises the sun. Indeed, if someone lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. Solomon says that living many years is a gift. Yes and amen for my jolly elders, right? It is a gift to live many years. Solomon says we should rejoice in every year that we have, every single one. And while remembering all of our years, though, we should also remember, as he'll say and tell us in a second, the days of darkness, the, the, the difficult days to come, the days that, that don't feel like gifts. He goes on in verse 8, and let them remember the days of darkness since they will be many and this common rephrase that we hear time and time again, all that comes is futile. So the teacher, Solomon, he, he's very nuanced throughout the book, meaning he'll make, a, he'll make a statement and then come back around and say, well, not too fast. Don't overswing that way. Don't overcorrect, right? He's very nuanced, which I love and appreciate. So he says, hey, there's rejoicing here. Rejoice in the days of your youth. But he comes on the other side he, and he's real with us. He's like, right. it's not always easy not some artificial Instagram post, right, that makes everything seem good on the outside. Solomon is like, yes, rejoice in the many years you have, but don't forget the days of darkness are coming. So what are the days of darkness? Well, we see further as as we begin to unpack this text that the days of darkness is referring to our aging. It's referring to us getting older, It's in verse nine that we see Solomon start to unpack and give us some inclination of a contrast. He's setting up our younger years versus our older years. Verse nine, he says, rejoice young person while you are young and let your heart be glad in the days of your youth. So he's encouraging those who are young to rejoice while they're young and to truly relish in the days of their youth. Who's young? It's not totally clear. And I'm not quite sure that's the point. The point is to rejoice while you can. Rejoice while you are able. He goes on in Ecclesiastes 11, verse 9, he says, walk in the ways of your heart and in the desire of your eyes. The New Living Translation puts it this way, do everything you want to do. Take it all in. Today, you might hear someone say, you do you, <laughs> right? Now, wait a sec, that's in scripture? Yeah. It is. It's also in line with what uh, Solomon said earlier in Ecclesiastes 9, 7, Go, eat your bread with joy. Go and enjoy your food. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Friends, the, the teacher is saying, enjoy the things God has given you. If you're young, let your heart be glad in the days of your youth and take it all in. Enjoy creation. Now, I know, I know my rule followers... I know y'all are tensing up a little bit. All right, first, chill. Okay, it's cool. That's cool. Solomon brings nuance. I'll bring it too, okay? But secondly, maybe this is an exhortation for you then, right? If you're like, ah, oh, that doesn't say that. It does, right? God has created this earth for us to enjoy, friends. Even going all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the, the setting was serene and beautiful. It was meant for mankind to enjoy fully as they enjoyed God, the creator. It was as they appreciated the creation that they could all the more appreciate the creator. Let's look all the way back to Genesis 2 at the creation narrative, right? Genesis 2, eight through nine says, then the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he placed the man he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground. Trees that were beautiful, and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of, knowledge, of the knowledge of good and evil. God created mankind to not just enjoy himself, but to enjoy the things that he created as well. God didn't make ugly trees. He didn't make bland food. It says in the text, he created a diversity of trees, all sorts of trees. They were beautiful. They produce delicious fruit. God has created things in this world for us to enjoy. But as Solomon has been saying, right, everything under the sun is is passing. It's it's futile. It's, It's like a breath, a vapor. You can't grab it. So we're called to enjoy, but nothing on this side of heaven is meant to bring us ultimate joy. But nonetheless, the encouragement is to, to remember or to rejoice in today and enjoy creation. If you struggle with this, I, I encourage you. P- Pastor Mo said this a few weeks ago and it's so helpful. Do your best to enjoy something. <sighs> Slow down today as you eat lunch, savor each bite. Feel, feel the, the crunch of. The chip and the the warmth of the nacho cheese, right? I ate breakfast a long time ago. I'm hungry. I'm sure you are too, but enjoy, right? Tomorrow morning when you when you get up, savor your cup of coffee. Sit outside on your porch this afternoon if you can handle the sweltering heat and, and just look at the beauty of creation, the trees. Hear the birds in the background. Look at the beauty of the people passing by you on your street. Psalmist says to rejoice in today and enjoy creation. And then the next exhortation we see from him is, is to remove, remove sorrow and pain. So again, as I said, we see the teacher, he always offers nuance. So he'll make a statement, he'll come back around, say, hey, don't overcorrect. Like we're, we're in the bounds here. So he's providing nuance to to the you, you, do you mentality, right? He says, do everything you want to do, take it all in, but know that for all these things that you take in, God will bring you to judgment. Or put it differently, but remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So the teacher, he tells all the young bloods, all the young folks to enjoy life, take it all in, to rejoice in the days of your youth, but you don't have a hall pass, (laughs) You don't get the monopoly get-out-of-jail-free card, right? You need to remember that for everything you do, you will be held accountable. You see, friends, God the creator, he has wired creation to to work and operate in a certain way. And and even though the the world is broken and stained with sin, the order of God's creation still remains. It still undergirds the world and the way it operates, Because of this, the the teacher encourages the young in verse 10. He says, remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh because youth and the prime of life are fleeting, futile. But wait a sec, remove sorrow from your heart. Didn't he say in Ecclesiastes 7 that sorrow is better than laughter? Like, is that contradictory there? I I think what, what Solomon is saying here in the context of these verses is that removing the sorrow and pain that comes from not enjoying creation as the way it was intended. Sorrow is better than laughter, right? He says in Ecclesiastes 7. Sadness has a refining quality, is what he says. It's better to be in a house of mourning. It's better to be at funerals than at parties, is what he said. But I think that's a different kind of sorrow. This is sorrow that we choose to enter into as we operate outside of the bounds of the way God has wired the world to work. I think we see this, right, um, that God has this undergirding um, order to creation. We see this in in 1 Corinthians 10.23, right, where Paul picks up the same sentiment that you can do anything you want, but you will be held accountable for it because there is an order to it. Paul says everything is permissible, or other translations say everything is lawful, but not everything is beneficial, (laughs) Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. See, Scripture teaches us that that God, again, actually encourages us to enjoy creation. But the important thing is that we must enjoy creation in submission to the way that God has designed it. Wine is meant to be enjoyed, but in a way that does not lead to drunkenness. Food is meant to be enjoyed, but not in a way that's gluttonous or or overindulgent. You know, the feeling where, like, it feels like your stomach is stretching further than its bounds at Thanksgiving, right? It's like, that's not how food was designed to be enjoyed. There's other things, too. Physical intimacy is meant to be enjoyed, but in the context of lifelong commitment and marriage, God has created these things and many others, y'all, to be enjoyed, but to be enjoyed in the right way. Ah, but that's what we hate, right? That's what we don't like. We have this illusory dream of complete freedom, complete autonomy over ourselves. And that's the age-old problem, friends. Again, back to the Genesis story, right? Genesis 2, 15 through 17, the Lord God placed the man in the garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may eat freely, hear that, freely, You may eat freely of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Remember, God made tons and tons of trees, all beautiful, all yummy. And he says, just don't eat from this one. And you know how the story ends, right? Adam and Eve disobeyed God in an exercise of what they thought would bring them absolute freedom. But in the deep irony of the story, it, it led to bondage, to slavery, to sin. You see, friends, even even today our problem is that we have a misunderstanding of what freedom is and what limitations are and how they play a role in freedom. You see, limitations, rather than restricting our freedom, can actually bring us freedom as it's intended. Now, imagine with me, there's a goldfish, right? And the goldfish says, Living in water is just so restrictive. <sighs> I want out. You know, maybe he sings a Disney song like, I want to be where the people are, right? <laughs> I want to see him, see him dancing. So he jumps out of the water, onto land. Flop, flop, flop. Oh, <laughs> flop starts to slow down. Yikes. There's kids in the audience. We won't get to the end of that story, right? But we know where it's going. (sighs) Let me ask you, though, is is that freedom? (sighs) He's finally outside the bounds of water. Like, golly, how restrictive is water, man, right? He's outside of that. So he has true freedom in his mind, right? No restrictions, if that's how freedom is defined. But the thing that he longs for, the quote-unquote freedom that he's getting of no restrictions actually leads to his death. The fish, right, to be truly free must embrace limitations. Now, I know many of you, you probably don't have trouble embracing the limits of Um, of the created order for issues like survival, right? Like I haven't seen anyone try to fly off the Carlisle roof, or most of you probably haven't jumped in the baptismal and tried to live there. So it's not an issue of survival, right? But for other things that we think are maybe quote-unquote (laughs) non-consequential, we live as... um, If we can make up our own morality, if we can do whatever we want, if we're our own rulers, it's as if we then are our own creators. From things like the way we talk, to the amount of food we consume, to the things we look at online, to our sexuality, to the ways we relate, we live as if things are meant to be enjoyed under our terms and our conditions. It's under our rules, right? That's how we think of freedom. But Solomon says, y'all, all all our acts, whether you think they're good or not, will be subject to God's judgment. You will be held accountable to God's standard of holiness. That goes for things in your past, for things you do now, and, and things you do in the future. That also goes whether you're a Christian or not. Now again, to offer some nuance for those who are in Christ, praise God, we are washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. So in terms of experiencing eternal life with God, we are clean. We're declared righteous. We won't be held accountable in a sense for our rebellion because we have been made friends of God. But nonetheless, you can see uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, 1 Peter um, 1.17, there is an aspect that no matter if you're a Christian or not, we all will be held accountable for the things we've done and left undone. We, we have to give an account, right? Again, if you're a Christian, you're declared not guilty. But God may ask like, yo, what's up with that, right? So there's a future judgment that we will all be held accountable at. But even now, look at this. Solomon says, remove sorrow from your heart and put away pain from your flesh because youth in the prime of life are fleeting. So what I think Solomon, looping all the way back around, I think what Solomon is saying is you can remove the unnecessary sorrow from your heart. And put away the unnecessary pain from your flesh by submitting yourself to the way God has wired his, crea- his creation to be, uh, to be lived in and to be experienced. The Catholic tradition um, has long embraced this notion of natural law, which basically says that creation speaks to us and reveals to us how God has wired things, okay? Right? You can see that also in Scripture, Romans 1. It's not salvific, like looking at creation doesn't save you, but it can speak and say, hey that doesn't line up, right? And I think that's true, right? Hangovers reveal to us that alcohol maybe shouldn't be consumed that way. High blood pressure can show, hey, a Big Mac a day probably isn't the best way to consume food and relate to it. Perpetual exhaustion, it can reveal like, hey, the 12-hour days, you know, maybe God had something with that whole work-rest rhythm that I'm supposed to, or that I see in Scripture, right? Right? The world, the natural world can speak to us and show us how, based on consequences, how we should relate to it, how God has wired it. Now, that has to be checked with Scripture, right? Scripture reveals to us so much, thank God, He gives us so much wisdom about how to enjoy creation. But creation also can speak to us and reveal to us. Now again, our, our cultural moment of expressive individualism, it's a time when we create our own order rather than submit to some type of external order. It does all it can to push up against this idea. Our cultural moment, it says freedom is a lack of rules. But y'all, that's just not true. It's a flawed way of thinking. Even the things that you think are bringing freedom to you are actually enslaving you in some ways. Like buying whatever you want on a quote-unquote limitless credit card, it doesn't feel as free when the debtors come with the shackles of 25% interest, right? Like it may feel free on the front end, but it's not freeing. The things that offer freedom ultimately enslave us if they're not obeyed in the way God intended them. Look at social media, right? social media platform that allows you to create your own identity. It actually puts your identity in the hands of your followers and your friends. (laughs) So the identity that you want to create, that you want everyone to love, then becomes, um, gosh, really enslaved, if I can use that word, to the likes and the retweets. You become who the others say you should become. That's not Freedom. see, y'all, orienting ourselves in line with the way uh, the creator, God, has designed creation, that actually allows us to live in freedom. It allows us to enjoy the things that we were meant to enjoy, but to enjoy them in the way they were intended to be enjoyed. And y'all, ultimately, as we enjoy creation appropriately, it helps us to love and worship God all the more. So that leads us to our our final exhortation from the teacher to remember. And what are are we to remember? Well, he says in verse 1, remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of adversity come, and the years approach when you will say, I have no delight in them. So we're to remember our creator before the days of adversity come, before the days of old age come to us. And then what Solomon does, we, we didn't read this passage of Scripture, but I, I want to hold it before you. Solomon offers us this beautiful poem, y'all. Like This is one of those, pe- those things in Scripture that you look at and you're like, oh my goodness, like that's a beautiful work of art. He offers up this poem that gives a picture of of old age, of of the days of adversity to come. Verse 2, he says, Before the sun and the light are darkened. So as we age and as death sets in and the moon and the stars and the clouds return after the rain, On the day when the guardians of the house tremble, he said, so as we age, the legs get weak and the the strong men stoop, the shoulders sag, the the women who grind grain cease because they're few, the teeth maybe fall out, they're not as plentiful as they once was. As, As the ones who watch through the windows see dimly as our eyes maybe aren't as great as they used to be, the doors at the street are shut while the sound of the mill fades So as the vocal cords grow weaker and weaker. When one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song grow faint, so as we age, it becomes harder and harder to sleep. Also, they are afraid of heights and dangers on the road. The almond tree blossoms, so as we age, the hair grows gray. The grasshopper loses its spring, right? Maybe there's a little less pep in the step. The caperberry has no effect, so our appetite, it fades. And he finishes this beautiful poem, looking at the end of the days of darkness, of death, finally setting in, he says, for the mere mortal is headed to his eternal, to his eternal home. Mortals will walk around this in the street before the silver cord is snapped, the golden bow is broken, and the jar is shattered at the spring, and the wheel is broken into the well. And hear this, friends, and the dust returns to the earth as it once was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Now, this may feel like a, a, a bleak picture of aging, but I think it's probably real, right? I don't know about y'all, but like, I don't I don't want Instagram Christianity, man. It's like, thank you, Solomon, for being real with me, about telling me about how life really is. Now, it's not all bleak, right? Like, I praise God for our jolly elders. like They enjoy life. They have vivacity to them still, but I'm sure you can ask them, it may not be as easy as it once was, right? The knees creak, the backs ache, the bones are a little more brittle. It's hard getting older. Can I get an amen from my jolly elders, y'all? Gosh. Yeah, thank you, Joan. Thank you. But friends, like, like Solomon, the teacher has done in looking at death, He's pointing us to the fact that our aging is actually a way to help us remember the creator. (laughs) Right, I love verse five through seven. It says, for the mere mortal is headed to his eternal home and the dust, you, your body, returns to the earth as it once was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. When we think about aging, when we think about our bodies decaying, when we think about death, it's a reminder if you are dust, <laughs> you once were dust. I know you think you're making your own meaning, but God created you, right? It says he knit you together in your mother's womb. Did y'all have anything to do with that? Anyone? Right? God created you. You are dust. <laughs> you don't make your own meaning, man. God is wire creation, to be lived and enjoyed in a certain way. And as we do that, then we can experience freedom and joy all the more. Now y'all, the the picture of aging, it it shouldn't be despairing to us, but, but rather it's just a sobering reminder of reality. And what's beautiful is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, speaks even to our aging. It speaks to everything in life. Let me show you this. It speaks to our aging. Look at 2 Corinthians 4 with me. For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. That's a promise we can put our confidence in. And then Paul goes on. Therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, some translations say wasting away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. Friends, for those who are in Christ, the hope we have is that even though our bodies waste away, even though as dust, our bodies will return to dust, our souls are being renewed. And like Christ, friends, we too will experience resurrection one day, a glorious renewal of our physical bodies. Creation too will experience renewal, right? Romans 8 says that creation is growing with childbirth pangs, longing for the future resurrection of Christ. And friends, all of creation will be restored to the way it was supposed to be, whether we 're young or old, the gospel, it gives us great hope. as our, our bodies waste away, we're promised that this earthly life is not the end, friends. But as it gives us great hope for the future, it also helps us to reorient ourselves towards a healthy pre- appreciation of creation and our creator right now. (laughs) Remember your creator in the days of your youth while you still can rejoice in creation and your creator. Solomon, after going all throughout the ins and outs of life, seeking to know what it means to be wise under the sun, he brings the whole thing to a close with his final conclusion. And here's what he says to us, friends. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 through 14 says, when all has been heard, I took it all in. I read all the tweets, did all the Google searches, did all the, um, what was it, EBSCO host research. When it was all heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands. Because this is for all humanity, For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So church, as we conclude our study of the book of Ecclesiastes, the the final encouragement to you is to fear God and keep his commands. And Solomon says, that's for everybody. Where I'm from, we say that's for all y'all, right? Whether you're a Christian or not. (laughs) Fear God, keep his commands. Friends, we need to remember that it's only, that can only be done in and through Christ. He's the one that transforms our hearts and our minds. He does so in such a way that brings us into loving submission to the way that creation has been ordered. Every week when we gather together, Um, we take a meal called communion. This meal that we partake in is a reminder that we as a people, because of Christ's sacrifice on our behalf, we now are submitted to his rule and reign. Taking communion together is a proclamation to the watching world that I trust in what Christ has done for us. And I orient my life, even if imperfectly, to how he has called me to live here and now. If you do want to partake in this meal, you can find uh, communion elements in the pew back in front of you. If you're not a Christian, we ask that you not partake in this meal, not because we want to exclude you in any way, but scripture uh, teaches that um, this meal is for those who are about the reality of Christ. Um, So if you are not a Christ follower or or don't consider yourself a Christ follower, we ask that you not partake, Um, but feel free to talk to to, uh, me or um, one of our volunteers after the service and we can talk about um, what it means to prepare you to take communion even next week. Um, as, uh, as Jesus was um, eating with his disciples at the last supper, um, he took bread, he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take and eat. This is my body. Let us take and eat the bread together. That same night, Jesus took the cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take and drink the cup together. Church, the Apostle Paul tells us that as often as you eat this bread and drink from this cup, you are pronouncing Christ's death until he returns. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr. Lead Pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.